right, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. We have a super fun episode today because we have a special guest, Andy Mowat, the CEO and founder of Gated. Um, Andy, you want to go ahead and say hi? Hey there. Great to see you guys. Good to see you. Thanks for thanks for joining us. And and as always, we have the the two buffoons, Brandon and Jonathan, jumping in um, as well. You can say hi as well, guys, if you d- want. D- don't don't sound so disappointed. And I guess we have these other guys too. <laughs> yeah, thanks, I appreciate it. What's up, guys? I mean, I just thought we'd start it out hot by just like letting you guys know where you stand before okay, we jump into the rest of the interview. That way, Andy and I can actually have a quality conversation, and then you guys can. <laughs> You know, we've been put in our place. Turn, turn your mic off if you want. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but anyways, no, Andy, I'm super excited to have you and, and super excited for this for this episode. Um, you and I have connected a, a couple times in the past, and your Gated is such a cool platform. We're going to talk about that a whole bunch today. But but sort of first background for the listeners, Andy is a serial entrepreneur, um, advisor, investor, and over 18 years experience in, in growing tech companies, uh, Culture Amp, Box, Upwork, Elance, and now Gated. Is that right? You got it. Yeah, it's, uh, I've spent, I, I, I say 20 years, but I think you guys must have done the math. 18 years of uh, building <laughs> go-to-market machines uh, to scale companies rapidly. And three, uni- three unicorns there. Three yes. Unicorns. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of fun doing it. That is, a, yeah, that, that is a very modest way of handling the three unicorns question. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun doing it. Three <laughs> unicorns is awesome, man. Own that. That's insane. Like, uh, that is, it is a privilege to have you on here because that is, that is crazy. And, and uh, in all of that, the focus is, you know, marketing and revenue operations, which is going to be super helpful for our audience just to hear from somebody who's actually scaled those things three times to the unicorn level and is working on another one now that uh, is a really cool piece of technology. So, um, so let's start there. Gated. Tell us about Gated. Yeah, maybe the best way to start is just by telling you the story. Um, right? So yeah. I, I was running RevOps, and then I added Demand Gen as well at CultureAmp. So we're, we're a Series D company, and I'm getting blown up by STRs, right? As uh, When you run RevOps, uh, people are selling you a lot of tools. Uh, as is tradition, my, yeah. my day is at least, at least 20 touch points from different SDRs through a day. Absolutely, yeah. and you know it's like every time you move roll, you get hit. Every time you have a fundraising, you get hit. And so I think we raised our D and I was just getting blown up, right? So I was just frustrated one day. And um, I remembered what Bill Gates had said, and we can talk about that in a minute. But I basically wrote an email and said, I don't know you. I'm not going to get your email. Um, here's my Venmo link, and here's my nonprofit. If you donate, I guarantee I'll read it, right? And I, I just had a text expander, started shooting it out to people that annoyed me, and that was pretty much it, right? And like a week later, my Venmo account, I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm this thing. And, you know, and, and I'd ask, I started off with a nickel and a dime, and people would like, $20 donations would show up, right? And you're like, there is something to this problem. Um, so then I built the next version in Airtable and Zapier with a uh, CEO's guidance that I, I really trust. And I started to talk about it to friends at, you know, in, in RevOps and other spots. And people would be like, oh, my God, I need this, right? So I built it out and gave it to five or ten people and uh, completely solved their spam problem. Uh, and, you know, that was about two and a half, three years ago. And I just kept monkeying with it, tweaking it. You know, there were, there were things where there were hurdles we had to cross. Uh, and at some point, uh, <laughs> you know, raised some money for it from some pretty influential folks. Nice. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean... Also, I love that your minimum viable product was built on Airtable and Zapier. That's, oh, no, that's my minimum awesome. viable product was built on a text expander with a copy paste. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was to revenue um, with with copy paste. Yeah, so you, you want to talk scaling from nothing, scaling from mm. essentially copy and paste to a, a funded business, and then continuing to scale. It's insane. Um, so, so 
I get the concept, right? Like the the concept is if somebody emails me and SDR wants to book a meeting with me, they get an auto response that's like, hey, if you want to book with this person, you got to donate to this charity or do yeah. this, take take this action. How does it work? Like, what are the nuts and bolts of this thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't, but we believe that we don't want to change people's workflow and behavior, right? So we we sit in whatever client you use, as long as you're using Google today, and we'll add Microsoft soon. And we basically um, we take out email that's not on your allowed list. Um, you can become on the allowed list if you've ever sent to them in the past, if you've trusted the domain. Um, and then we're smart enough, say like Brandon, who I've known for a while, copies you in, Jordan, and I hadn't talked to you before. Like the system's smart enough to learn and to trust those things, right? So, you know, what, we, what I've realized is people don't want to learn a new tool. Um, people want it to just to work, right? So the system kind of like watches how you use email and learns. Um, and so it's super, super smart. And then when you get that email, it basically says, you know, there's a click here to donate. If you donate, uh, it'll take mm-hmm. that email out of the out, out. It'll put it back into the inbox and it'll say this was the donation amount. Right. So everything just happens. Um, there's tons of tools out there that help people manage email more effectively. That's not what we're building. We're stopping the mess from ever happening in the first place. I love I love that that framing of it, stopping the mess from ever happening in the first place. Right. It, it's. It's asking everybody how how valuable is meeting with me to you? Is it is it because if it's not fifty dollars to my favorite cherry valuable, valuable, it's not that valuable to me, right? Yeah, no. There's one interesting point that you've touched on a little bit. We're not charging for time. Um, you know, there's I, there's plenty of startups that have started with hey, it's fifty bucks or two hundred bucks to get a meeting. Those fail, um, and happy to go mm-hmm. into kind of why. Um, we're charging <laughs> for your attention, and we're charging yes. for the ability to put the email into the inbox. So our average price point right now, and I guarantee it'll, it'll go up, but it's three bucks, um, right? Like it's two, three bucks to get the email into the inbox. We do not guarantee a reply. Um, so we, because we are not building a tool for sellers, we're building a tool for buyers. And yeah. so that tool, there's 10,000 tools for sellers. Um, there's no tools for buyers. We're building the first buyer automation to give buyers a, a sword to fight against all the automation that exists. And but so, I would say sellers should want this too, though, right? Yes. Like they this do. 100% benefits the seller as well. You get it. Yeah. And it, it, so, you know, early, we actually have some folks that are on the senior leaders at some of these sales automation companies and super excited by what you guys are doing too on, on that front. Um, and, you know, very early on, this is not about shutting down the inbox. This is about stopping the noise and creating the right incentives because right now it doesn't cost anything to send email. So you send hundreds of thousands of them. But if it costs two bucks to send an email or to deliver an email, you're going to really think hard about is that email worth sending or not? And so today, the average reply rate for outbound email is 2% before gated. Um, it kind of sucks for cold email. Yeah. Um, if somebody donates, and that even average, seems generous. Yeah, <laughs> average, somebody donates, average donation is about three bucks. Um, reply rate pops to about 50%. Uh, and wow. so the, the world we see is today, send 100, get two. We envision a world of send 10, get five replies. It's a better world for everybody. We get rid of the noise. We get rid of the people selling you offshore development or want to buy this list um, or, or stuff like that that just you don't ever want anyway. There's there's a little bit of like a psychology and, and reciprocity uh, you know reciprocity here as well because you know I, I was on the early you know Airtable version of it yep. and even even back even back then like 
someone someone donated two dollars to the charity of my choice, and I'm like, even though it's a, no, I don't want to take the time to to ch- I'm not in the market or whatever. It's like I'm actually going to reply to you now. You know, it's yeah. like you did a little thing. Now I'm actually going to take time out of my day to to respond to you. Yeah, it's like you, A, you, we forced you to think, it was like, is that email relevant or not? And so like half of the people probably never should have sent it in the first place, right? <laughs> and exactly, then like, exactly. And then you like respected my time and, you know, not like hours of it, but like I'm willing to give you the two minute or two to read it and reply. And then there's the charity aspect of, wow, you just gave some money to a nonprofit that matters to me. So all three of those combined. Um, plus, I guess the fourth one is today when you show up on a Monday morning or on any morning, your first step is clearing out your inbox with crap. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the gated world, everything every morning, every, every morning. Book, well, that's why I got to get you guys all signed up for gated again. Now. <laughs> yeah, Brandon will exactly. be back and Jordan, I'm, I'm here selling you. But uh, yeah, it, when I show up, everything in my inbox is good. I'm not spending that. I'm not in a bad kill stuff mode. I'm in a good mode. So it's also, I'm approaching maybe that SDR email that donated in a different way. I'm approaching it from, wow, everything else here is good versus like, I got to get rid of the crap first. I love that. So, so, and and I'm thinking of this from like uh, our sales team's perspective, right? Yes. So, so, and and me in revenue operations managing sale, selling time, and selling time is expensive. So, if I'm think if I'm hearing you right, like the average cost of getting through the gate essentially is three to five dollars. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Three to five dollars, pretty trivial amount. So, if I send ten emails and I spend three dollars on each of those to get through, and I get five replies, and I I can do that in ten minutes. 15 minutes of selling time, right? I can send 10 emails and then quickly do the things and get five meetings. Or if I spend three hours sending a hundred emails and I get two replies, it's actually way cheaper for me to you, just pay the $5 on gated to book some meetings. Yeah, you get it. And you guys probably do like the, you know, Jordan, I'm sure with your role, you're doing a lot of like, what's the cost of an opportunity to generate? Yeah. How much is it worth? Like, you know, did my last job, we were thinking like two, $3,000 for a, for a qualified opportunity. Right. So like, if, if you and this fundamentally changes the SDR role as well, too, right, from one of just shooting into the void to like higher quality conversations. So you can start to afford like higher quality SDRs. You invest more in content like there's a whole interesting thing that I've, I've got another thing I do of like, what does the world look like when we're super prevalent? But I've sat down with some SDRs from SDR Nation and some of the founders of like SDR Defenders and like we've done the math on what this world looks like for SDRs at scale and it works. Um, yeah. And, and so it's, it's basically better for everybody except those people that never should have sent email in the first place. Right. And, and that's, <laughs> it's encouraging your SDRs to be more targeted as well. It's helping you make your, make your SDRs better, which, yeah, I, I can see how this would, the, the financial math of this from a revenue operations standpoint adds up, right? Like it actually, it actually works to, to save me money while increasing pipeline. Um, from a selling standpoint, not alone the problem you're actually set out to solve, which was the buyer having, you know, the full inbox. Um, so let, let's, I, I kind of want to keep going down this rabbit hole, but, but I know Brandon mentioned that you wrote a manifesto, which yeah. tell, tell me about the manifesto. Yeah. So right now, um, not everyone that want, that has the pain of email can use gated, right? Um, so for example, like we got a lot of sales leaders on our wait list. We're not taking them on, right? Because um, for a bunch of reasons, but at a fundamental level, if you're selling somebody and they get a challenge, it's going to not look as good. Um, yeah. And so, but we've got so many people that intuitively get what we do and want to get aligned. So, you know, my data marketing and I came up with the concept of like, 
there is a vision. There's a bigger vision. I'm happy to talk about where we're going with this whole thing. Um, but we want to get people aligned with that, even if they can't use our product today. And people get really excited about what we're doing. Um, so our manifesto, and I, I may paraphrase because uh, it's off there, but fundamentally, like we believe people deserve to own their own attention, right? Like right now, when you show up, anybody can get into your inbox and take your attention and it doesn't cost them a thing. So we believe that you should control who can reach you. Um, we believe that a small marginal cost can, um, can, can create better connections. And then fundamentally, we think you deserve to own and determine the value of your attention and where that goes, right? So yeah. link, LinkedIn in-mail proves our model at scale, but they made one big mistake. It costs the same to reach your 12-year-old or your 16-year-old kid as it does to reach like a senior leader. Um, they didn't let, they didn't individually price that, right? Like Bill Gates costs the same to reach as like some random person. And so we allow every single user to set their own price, right? So Jordan, I was a little cagey when you were like, it's three to five bucks. We've got users yeah. that all anywhere from a dollar up to like $5 minimum. Now here's the kicker. We also allow people to pick their own price. So 40% of people pay more than we than our users ask for, right? So it's uh, we we get a twenty dollar donation or a fifty dollar donation like almost every day. Wow, hmm. that's that's it's it's amazing. And so, um, I, by the way, I just have to ask. So, say I'm a sales team and and gated is scaled, right? Like sixty percent of the people we reach out to have gated. Is there ever a universe where you guys are going to integrate with somebody like Sendoso or Postal to where I can give reps a gated budget? Uh, well, yeah. So Chris, CEO of Sendoso is an investor, a friend, an advisor, and a user. Oh, so, so totally possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, feel free to email Chris, Chris at Sendoso.com and yeah. him to reach him. Um, yeah, exactly. uh, so, Chris so the answer is yes, I, the, that, that world exists. We don't necessarily need to integrate with them to do that because yeah. all you need to do is say, hey, for for my company, for revenue.io, I would like to put in, I'd like to link it to my bank account. And then our system can be smart enough to say, Hey, great. Rather than a credit card, like here it is. So we don't even like we're, we actually have on our website, a place where people can fill out and like get a sender account. Um, we haven't, we haven't built that functionality out yet, but like if people are definitely that's possible, but yeah, like Chris is good. We're, we're, we're really good friends with postal and, um, and then also um, Alice as well too, and, and a bunch of the other ones. Right. So yeah, like I, Chris, I've been an advisor of Sendoso for years, and Chris is an amazing leader, and so he's been a, a super early feedback person on that side. Nice, yeah, we're, we're a Sendoso customer, which is why they came top of mind as well. And, and the way I'm imagining it is, that, you know, if this becomes more and more prevalent, and this, and I think it will, because I think it's awesome. Um, I would love as a, you know, I manage the SDRs at, at uh, Revenue as well. I'd Absolutely. love to be able to say, hey, like each SDR has a hundred dollar gated budget per month, right? It, it allows me to make them more targeted by enforcing, like, you have a limited budget to use for getting through paywalls. So use it wisely, use it on the best leads, use it on the best content. That's exactly right? some of the midterm stuff that we're working on. Yeah. Nice. I love that. Um, so we've talked about out, like, is this is changing outbound tactics. Then we've talked about that. We've sort of talked about that. We haven't talked about RevOps at all. So we should probably do that. This is the RevOps podcast. It looks <laughs> like Jonathan got disabled from his camera because of his slow internet connection. I see Jonathan, Oh, I see. Him. I think it's your your slow connection. I'm on, yeah. I'm on, Stop I'm on blaming Ethernet. it on other I'm people. I'm on Ethernet. Thank you. I'm wired Ethernet. because otherwise I get booted and then you take over and it's a terrible episode. So I cannot. <laughs> that was our best episode yet. And that was so, our best episode. Yet. So I have to make sure that I stay connected at all times. Um, keep this thing off the rails. 
Um, all right. So RevOps in general, managing RevOps. You've been doing, you've been scaling, you've been focusing on marketing and revenue operations for 18 years. I know you say 20. I think Brandon did the math. So if it's wrong, that's on him. Yeah, that's um, marketing math, not ops math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no math. He wrote it down on a napkin somewhere and then just eyeballed said it. 28 years for marketing math, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, you're round yeah. way up when yeah. it comes to marketing math. Yeah. Um, so, so with all the demands thrown at the RevOps team from different directions, it comes with scaling, you know, from where you're at now and your, your, your previous companies. How do you do your capacity planning? Like, right, right now, or how, would, how do you do your capacity planning at Gated? Yeah, I mean, for RevOps, I think it's... Uh, so, Gated, we don't... Like, I am RevOps. And, <laughs> and, um, but I'll, I'll talk about, like, you know, a culture amp or a box, like a, a decent-sized yeah. company. I mean... Um, I think a lot of it is just in it's, it's a, I actually have an article in my RevOps handbook that I wrote before I wrapped up at Culture Ramp um, around some of these things and like the mentality that you need to hire for, for, for RevOps, right? And like the ability to prioritize, you know, force trade-offs and say no are kind of like mm. three core skills that if you don't have those, um, you can't, you're basically never going to be successful at prioritization, right? So like, I think what I look at is for each, I ran, you know, RevOps and, and demand gen. And what I would look at is, um, can the people that are running the different functions for me, right? So I'll talk about sales ops, but like that, that leader is, is got to have a list of what are the projects and the priorities and where are we doing them? And then they're talking about that with the sales leader. And, you know, then the, basically the sales leader is asking for something. And I think what's at a fundamental level is you've got to be able to force, trade-offs and scarcity. If you don't do that, you're going to get absolutely steamrolled as ops, right? Like, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. You got to be like, that's a good idea, but I can do this or this and which one is more important. And like, if you can't force scarcity as a RevOps leader, um, you're never going to get any more resources and you're basically going to be behind the eight ball the whole time. Yeah. It's totally fair. I mean, we, we use, um, we use OKRs here. I think are super helpful for me on the RevOps yeah. side to, to prioritize because it, it creates, I think as a leadership team, you also need to create the space for RevOps to say no, right? You need to set that expectation from the start that like I can get, Brandon might ask me for something and I say, yeah, like that sounds really cool, but it's like number nine on my priorities because I'm looking at my priorities and the, these three are directly tied to OKRs. These three are, you know, subsidiary tied to OKRs and these three are also super cool. So if we get to it, we'll get to it. But otherwise it's not even on my radar. Yeah. I don't know as a leadership team, if it's, ob if they are, if it's on them to create that space, I think a good RevOps leader can yeah. can visualize that and then i mean if, if a person's like i don't care you got to do them all then you got a problem um yeah. but, uh, but but like i think what i see a lot of RevOps team fail is they're just like oh yeah i got that i got that i got that and then everything ends up in a black hole and so the yeah. ability to like mirror it back to people and be like this is what you've asked for and this is what i can do and here's how i'm approaching it and like have your own thesis on what the prioritization is that tends to work well yeah. Part of this too is like managing expectations, right? Yes. Like I think everyone has had the experience of, you know, their their marketing or their head of sales comes to the RevOps team and says, Can you do this? Like it should take like two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And you're Nobody just like, knows. Oh my God, <laughs> what did you just ask me to do? Like, how do you manage those expectations? Yeah, I think it's also like um I tend to ask you know, there's always the, you know, the classic saying, which I think is wrong in the RevOps world is uh, always bring me a solution, right? Like, uh, or tell me, how you, I think in RevOps, <laughs> I, agree. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I totally. want you to bring me the problem. I don't exactly. want you to tell me how to solve it because you may not as a marketing leader have thought of like every single piece of how to solve it, or you may not understand this data problem or this is the way it works. So I think a lot of it is like bring us in 
at the issue phase. Don't be like, awesome, great, I need this piece of technology, please implement it. Like then you're yeah, not if you're a- trying to fix it on your own, you could break stuff even more. Oh, I mean, yeah. Better, better yet is, and, and and actually we do a really good job of this here. Is is say William Tyree, our CMO, identifies a problem and wants wants to solve it. He will loop me in, and he and I will do like an hour or even a couple of sessions together on uh, figuring out the problem, so we both truly understand it. And then we work on figuring out a solution together, which which is even better, right? Like I, I'm not just. He's not sending me an issue and me grabbing a solution and sending it back like, hey, we solved this. We're working on it together. And that has the added benefit going back to your original question, Brandon, is that then William has a deep understanding of what it's going to take to actually solve that problem. So he he doesn't think, hey, this is a three-minute solve. He knows exactly how big this solution is and what that's going to require from my team to solve it. Yeah, Yeah, Jordan, to an earlier point you mentioned, and I think you touched on it here, was who you report to in RevOps matters. I don't think the title is relevant. Like, it could be... The CIO, it could be the CRO, chief sales officer, CCO. It really doesn't matter, but you have to have somebody that like, in my book, I've said they need to be able to understand how RevOps works, get data and be able to give you air cover at the right moments of time, right? If you're like, I've got this security issue that I'm dealing with, like, and it's it's all in the product side, like they need to be able to swoop in and get down and help you out. And like, I think I've definitely worked at times when I have not had a leader above me that has understood and been able to do that. And I think that's a hard place to be. And so, like, I always say, like, if you're RevOps, you need to find a company that's growing. You need to find a a boss that, like, gets what you do. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, it, um, and by the way, I think there's, I don't think there's an exact right title for RevOps to roll into. I think there are wrong titles for RevOps to roll into. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't think, I don't think RevOps should, I, I'm actually very strong about RevOps should not roll into marketing or sales or customer success. Well, like, you go more to like the CIO finance. Uh, ops CEO, I think COO, CRO, CEO at RingDNA, I report directly, or revenue, I, I report directly to the CEO. RevOps is a standalone department. All ops rolls into RevOps and that way I, we're not the beholden to sales or marketing or customer success, we do what's best for the business. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You need to be colleagues with those leaders, not subservient yep. to them, because then you have the ability to say, listen, what you're asking for is actually wrong versus I'm like, I don't care. Just go fix it. Um, yeah. I think that's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's, yeah, you, you said it well. And um, I always also view it as I, I'm very dogmatic around. I would never work in a place where I don't like the term rev ops. I like GTM ops better. Right. Um, but, yeah. but we can, de- we can debate those two out, but like, I believe that RevOps can be that glue across sales, marketing, CS um, in some really neat ways. And I think that like in your structure and in the structure I had at, uh, at, at CultureAmp, like you can be much more effective and it's a much more fulfilling role. No, the, totally. the other big benefit, though, is like you, you get visibility into all the things that the other departments are doing. Whereas if you are just, you know, reporting just straight up to marketing, you only get visibility really into marketing. Um, and you also really only care about the marketing objectives because that's that's what you're, you know, uh, right. measured you're the, on every you're, day. You're into marketing's objectives. You're not, you're exactly. Holding, exactly. Right. You're not, you won't be, as Andy said, the glue across those organizations if you're just within one of those organizations. Exactly. Because the other... The other teams will see you as just a marketing person, too. They're not going to see you as somebody who can help all these teams. Yeah, that's, that's to your point of like who you report to. And Box, a great example. Like Marketing had a lead scoring tool and sales had a lead scoring tool. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Probably a pretty poor problem. There were four people that thought they owned ABM, right? Like you, 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 <laughs> the, you know, those, those types of things were just like, yeah, it's going to be tough to be coordinated across the two functions. 
Yeah, it makes it so hard. And it, yeah, and if you're in a silo like that, it's it's so difficult. And it, I feel for a lot of my colleagues, man. I I talk to so many RevOps people on a weekly basis, and they're like, I report to finance, or I report to. I had I talked to one recently that reported to custom the. This the chief customer success officer. I was like, how does that make sense? How does this Never make that any much. sense? You know, that honestly, you would... if that person could, that's why I always say it doesn't matter in the title, right? Like, if that person is, well, I won't use an immediate example, but like, if that person understands ops, can get the data, and can operate at an executive level to give you the right air cover, like, I would take that over the person that doesn't have those things. And yeah, so, totally. um, yeah, it, like, totally. you know, there have been times when you know I've said like two people i'm like that actually might be the person exactly that you would want to report to yeah that's that's true it's a really good point is that it's it's more about the the qualities and leadership of the person that you're reporting to in that scenario i i think from the from just like a casual glance i would be very hesitant to take a job yeah. where i reported to the chief customer yeah, i think you want to sit down with ceo and be like what's going on here do you have yeah the, like, are you lacking some other skills but like yeah. that may be the right place if you're there right <laughs> i i need i need to like have a deep relationship with this CCSO or whatever we're calling that person before I would be willing to take that opportunity for sure. Um, all right. So, so how do you, how do you advocate? So say you're a rev ops, you're in a great reporting structure, you feel really good about it. Company is scaling. How do you advocate for more headcount in rev ops? Forced write-offs. Um, so it, it's pretty simple. Like when your stakeholders start to see that they're having to put projects later because of that. Then you just give them a little quick, hey, you know, you can, can it kind of mention and, and advocate. Uh, my CCO at uh, Box, he was on the thing of the only time ops ever gets uh, more headcount is when the business gives it to them, right? So many times in my career, I've had the business hand me multiple headcount because they know that ops will be more effective. So I think, you know, the idea. I think there's, in my mind, as a RevOps leader, I'm always spending about half of 1%, like constantly strategizing on how to get more headcount. It's not like, <laughs> it's like, I look at it as like, when you take the job, if you're good, you should be able to pre-negotiate like ratios and stuff like that. Um, so like, ideally you've set up the right expectations of what you need to do this well, like at the beginning versus like, oh crap, like they thought they could do it with two people and actually it takes eight, right? So there's like those levels of maturity that come with it. And then I think it's just forcing scarcity and then like you got to build the right stakeholder relationships. Um, and so like, I mean, geez, I had the head of CS at Coltramp hand me, you know, two heads to be able to like do ops better, right? And he's, he's like, they would be better served hiring them and you than over there, right? So that's one way, but you know, that's, you know, if you can prove the value and you're really good, then, then people want more ops headcount. But yes, yeah. ops is always, always under resourced. I'm assuming you're not, right, Jordan? You got plenty. I feel, yeah. no, I feel pretty, I feel pretty strong about ours. Jonathan asks me for, <laughs> for to hire additional people all the time, and and we'll continue. To not all the all time. Them. Analysts it's, is yeah, what we need. And, and, and <laughs> we're not going to go down that route. <laughs> I am, I am, uh, I actually at Revenue Iowa, I think we we're one of the better, you know headcount wise supported teams that I've I, probably the best one I've ever worked at. We, we have a very you know active team. We have a lot of people who are good in rev ops and, and doing that. Um, especially as it relates to like total company headcount, the ratio is very healthy here and, and scarcity is, uh, it's, it's going to become an issue in the coming months for sure. Uh, but, but right now it's, it's not so much of an issue. We're, we're able to manage most of our workflow pretty, pretty easily. And so until to your point, it's also as me as the head of rev ops looking at it, like I don't, 
feel the urgency to bring somebody into RevOps right now because I don't also don't have scarcity, right? And like we have a lot of bandwidth, we're getting a lot of projects done. We're actually checking all the boxes most of the time. And so until that becomes a problem, then then I don't have a lot of initiative to go search for that headcount either. By the way, the one piece that I would add uh, to to what you said, getting headcount, it's often a lot harder, and this is for everybody listening, because I get this question a lot, like how do you hire for ops headcount? It's often a lot harder to go hire new headcount versus poaching somebody from another team. This is just a, this is like, sure. and yeah. SDRs, by the way, don't have to just become sellers. SDRs can become anything. CS people can become anything. Marketers can become anything, right? Like there are people at your company who are talented for ops and probably have the characteristics to do really well in it. Just have never given, given the opportunity. And if you go talk to the CEO or talk to the head of sales or whoever you need, it's a, re- it's a whole lot easier to get somebody to shift from an SDR to an ops role than it is to go, hey, can I go hire a new ops person? I couldn't agree more. I've, I, at every position I've been at, it may not be like the directors that are running the, the whole function because you need some pattern recognition. But like I think like CS, uh, SDR, um, even SMB sales are like great feeders for ops. Uh, at Box, we had a the analytics team taught a class on like SQL, right? And so I would yeah. just basically sit at that class every time and I would be like, hey, so yeah, so like I, I got a guy who was, uh, I forget where he came from, but he was, he was in the class and I'm like, this kid's just running circles around me in the class. And so like I hired him to run like marketing analytics, right? And it's like, and, and the, he's now running it at a big public company. Right. And so like some of these, they know how to work. They know the data. And the other cool thing to your point, Jordan is like, they know they sympathize with the other side. Right. So it can actually they bring ops, like say SDR is like, ah, ops doesn't understand. Like, you know, you bring in an SDR to the thing and like for nine months, like they're like, wow, ops really gets us. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. it, it, and frankly, you, you know, you need that sometimes to like be a little more sympathetic to the roles. Yeah, and, and it also brings somebody in that has a perspective that you might be missing. Because they've been doing the SDR, like you might be working really hard to support the SDRs, but there's stuff you're missing. And bringing somebody in that was doing that role for a year, they're going to know things that need to be fixed that you aren't even aware of. Oh, yeah, like our whole um, account um, like data entry thing was way too cumbersome. And when we moved in SDR over at CultureAmp, like that got fixed. So, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, it's it's. It saves you so much time in onboarding too, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And them learning your systems and and like a lot of times when you're hiring someone new, like you're taking a chance. You don't like sure they may have done a great interview, they may have done great on the take home exercise, but when it comes to actually doing the work, they they might be terrible. Like anyone can fake being great for like a few hours on an interview, right? But it's yeah. almost like this is already someone who's proven. I, I love moving people within organizations so much like especially with the at the same time i found that there is a set of mentalities that i need for an ops hire i actually have an article on oh. that on linkedin um and it's like if they don't have if they're not wired that way they won't totally go. yep totally mm-hmm. and you can tell right away right like like you said the sequel class I, I would be remiss if i didn't plug matt miller from our ops team here mm-hmm. because in my in my first week at the company literally my first week this is two years ago i meet i meet this guy matt first time we've ever met Within like, you know, 20 minutes, he's showing me these spreadsheets where he's running his own data to see his own effectiveness and like tracking all this stuff and he's doing all this. It took me like 30 minutes to, to okay, like, Matt, do you, you, you want to yeah, yeah. be an ops? Like, because <laughs> like you're, you're good. He was a good SDR. He was a high performing SDR, but like clearly he was 
talented and suited and had the mindset to be in ops. And so I think he was on my team within two weeks. Like we poached him over right away. Um, and he's still here and he's, he's been promoted twice and is absolutely crushing it in ops. Like it, it is a great fit for him and he's picked up and learned Salesforce administration and he's learned all these business analytics things and he's, he's picked up managing all the tech stack and like, it's been really easy for, or not easy. He's worked really hard, but like he has the mindset to problem solve and project manage and, and figure these things out on his own, which which you can't teach some of that stuff. So it's it's, it's amazing. You can't teach mentality like like you, you just can't. Yeah, can't do it. Um, Jonathan, did you have something? I feel like I cut you off like three times. No, no. Um, I think yeah, you did I, cut I, him I off like ten times. But uh, we're past I, <laughs> he said four words this episode, which is like, <laughs> I, know, I have not talked a lot. Average, so I thought let's give you some air time. Letting you in, I mean, this he's, is, this he's is nodding there in the background. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is probably like the whole hiring thing. It's actually one of the questions I think I get the most from other ops people is like, how do you hire? How do you do that? And and people seem to be always be a bit shocked when. I say, like, well, like, don't think about hiring externally. Think about hiring internally. So I, I really like that we went down that rabbit hole. Also, by the way, it's it's a wonderful thing that I manage SDRs here at Revenue IO because I have the early can spot that talent right away. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, by, by the way, one thing I've done, which is uh, I've created like I've hacked together my own like resource for ops stuff, which is going a little bit fallow, but I've got a database where and I was inspired by somebody else. But like, if people are suddenly looking for roles they can put their name in there and then I'm able to like be a resource for people on RevOps jobs. Right. So I think I've got like 75 people that have basically said like, Hey, I'm confidentially open to new things. Right. So it's, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I did of like, I don't want to, when you do need to hire for somebody and you, and you can't find it internally, like I kind of had an existing database. I could just flip the switch at any time. Nice. Is, yeah. So nice. I mean, that's probably you too, because you're a RevOps thought leader. It's a lot yeah. easier to hire as well too. And that's yeah, also the virtue of your career. I always encourage every RevOps person I have to like write, you know, write yeah. articles on LinkedIn. Don't just make RevOps an internal only role. Um, there's, you know, what my career in RevOps just took off when I started to like do the thought leadership and talk. And, and, and then frankly, like if you're going to be a leader, you need to be able to hire. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Um, yeah. And it, to the same, same point, right? Like this has been, super helpful for my career. I mean, hosting a podcast is super helpful for my career. People message me all the time. There's definitely a backlog and, and I try to ch- try to, I don't know that I do a great job of this. When somebody reaches out to me, Hey, I'm interested. I also get like 40 companies a week reaching out saying, Hey, we're hiring. I try to introduce those people like be, be that guy, right? 100%. Like, I know this yes. person's looking, I know this person's hiring. Like you guys meet each other. I'm not interested, but you know, either way, be that guy. Um, last thing I want to note is, is, uh, since I do manage the SDRs, anybody who's listening to this who's an SDR manager, encourage your SDRs to talk to the ops team, to talk to marketing, to talk to CS. They don't have to just be AEs. Now, I know that's the most common flow. It's always going to be the most common flow. Open it up. Like, why, why not open it up? You're going to find places where people can contribute and help your entire revenue operation in more meaningful ways because somebody who might fail as an AE upon promotion might do great in ops, might do great in CS, and you're missing those opportunities by forcing them into that sales role. Yeah, I mean, they're probably a 25-year-old kid that uh, that's like, hey, this could be a great entry point, and they may just be like, I don't tick like a salesperson, but if you've yeah. got somebody like 
optimizing everything to the 10th degree, you've probably got a great ops hire. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe they're great at building relationships and they're not able to keep up with the rate of sales because they're, maybe they're great at CS then, right? Like maybe they're great at building and maintaining relationships for, for something like customer success, or maybe they're interested in marketing. Like there's anywhere they could go. Like I agree. Yeah, especially with the great resignation when everyone's talking about leaving, like I don't think enough companies do a good job of nurturing earlier stage talent and helping them understand what's possible. Totally. And I, and I actually think that I, I would very much argue with any SDR manager saying they have to be salespeople, that you actually have a duty of care to 22 to 24 year olds when you hire them as an SDR right out of college. You have a duty of care to encourage them to find the path that's right for them because they're going to spend the next 40 years of their life working in wherever they end up probably. And if you force them into an AE role where they fail, they might jump to another AE role they fail. You're really going to mess up their career and you, you, you need to do better than that. Frankly, that's, I'm going to get off my pedestal, but um, I, feel, I feel very strongly about that. I um, couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's, it's cool that you kind of give back to the people that are coming behind you and, and help them. Now, I didn't know I didn't know how I ticked until I like I didn't know I was great at RevOps until I was like doing it at Upwork. And I'm like, wow, this I was hired to run business development. And then I ended up like falling into building out the marketing systems and everything like that. And so like <laughs> I think a lot of people may, may be built for RevOps, but they didn't know it. And then when you find yeah. like, wow, mm-hmm. I'm built for RevOps, it's like a good feeling. Um, but yeah. well, they're never given the opportunity, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I look back and I, I was a, it was called an organizer, but it was essentially like a CS slash SDR role when I first got into tech. And luckily I had a, a chief sales officer that I reported to at the time that like a month in was like, you might, I need an operations person and you, you would be good at it and pushed me into that role. And had it not been for that, I probably would have gone down the rabbit hole of selling for 10 years and been miserable. And you would have right? never been fulfilled. You never would have been known how good yeah. you are. And, uh, yeah, I kind of start. I kind of started on a similar path in web development, and kind of had an old boss kind of put me into the marketing technology side, and kind of same thing. Just opened my eyes and fell in love with it. Uh, on the other side of that, I think SDRs should always be taking out, like, uh, always try to tackle new opera. Like, is there any opportunity out there for me to do anything else? Right? And, and, <laughs> like, don't don't wait around for someone to ask you. Hey, do, like, do you want to do marketing? Have you ever thought about? ops have you ever thought about doing it's like if there is a need for it just go out and do it don't uh, wait till someone gives you permission to go do it right although like although speaking as an ops person i agree with you but it can also cause a lot of havoc sometimes too right like the yeah, uh, yeah. it's funny i always debated the gsd mentality i was like yeah gsd but like if no one's coordinating and everyone's just doing like it could end up being a total shit so but i mean i think you're maybe playing more like just do it in your career like take the mentality control over your own career type of thing exactly exactly totally so so we went we went totally long on that question so (laughs) i'm gonna move us on we we actually probably need to get towards the end of this episode because we we, that was i I feel like i was up on a pedestal but i feel confident about it so we're sticking (laughs) with it Um, i have a question for andy though uh andy if you were going to build out your ideal team in RevOps, what roles and what focuses would they have? I'm building every RevOps team to fit the dynamics and the nature of the company. Um, But I mean, in essence, the way I look at it is you like, I'll think at the scale that I've most recently been at. Um, I think you're going to have like a systems team. Um, You'll have a data, data like infrastructure analytics team. Uh, You'll have like, and then you really are building out the stakeholder, the, the the people that are like the analytics data insights partners for each of those leaders. And then you're building out like those 
functions that are more like the run the business stuff, like a deal desk or a or, or things like that, right? So I tend to think is like the way I found it best is if you've got analytics minded, data driven people that are the thought partners to there. I'm a big believer in that ops should also own the go to market data stack um, and be able to deliver on those insights and have a, you know, so like I, we were able to at, at Coltramp, like build out and own that, like go to market data, the infrastructure, the, 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 the database, the, you know, all of, all of the, that stuff. So you were able to like drive significantly better insights than you could otherwise. So yeah, that's kind of like how I, roughly would want to build it out. But I think, you know, ideally it's not like the head of RevOps that has the relationship with each of these people. Like I wanted my, my sales part, like I wanted the SDR plugged in with one. I wanted the head of AE plugged in with another and head of AM. Cause I think they're answering different questions, but then we all come back and map it across each other. I like it. Jonathan, you can't just nod. You have to answer. You have to. I said I like it. I know. But I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I'm going to move us on. It's super interesting. Um, Andy, we'll probably have to have you back on for another episode. There's like seven more questions in uh, my. I want to come yeah. back every Friday afternoon. I'll, I'll bring. Yeah, you. Yeah. Heck yeah, yeah. I will do it. Um, but fourth, fourth host of the podcast moving forward. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so moving on to this week on LinkedIn which is, of course, when we take questions from LinkedIn, we ask them. They're totally unrelated to the topic we're talking about, and we just off-the-cuff them. Um, this one is actually different because this isn't actually a question that we were sent. This is just a hot topic for debate on LinkedIn recently. I've seen a lot of people go one way or the other about this, and I think I might do the sort of unthinkable thing and invite Alec, our producer, to unmute when he's ready yeah, to talk, bring it on, he's going to have conversation. He's going to have strong thoughts about this. So Alec, <laughs> only unmute when you're ready to talk because your background noise is terrible. But <laughs> yeah. otherwise, otherwise, when you're ready, I, I'm the giving you that vampire, that vampire invite is coming in. He yeah. says deal in the chat. Get the um, garlic ready. <laughs> so this week on LinkedIn, should people use polls? That's that's the question. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think it's the question, though. I think you use them because the algorithm's good. I think it's okay. So, so what, yeah. what should LinkedIn do with polls? Yeah. Like, there yeah. you go. Well, you you know why they they I, I so I think that this is why they've been prioritizing polls. They're because they're actually collecting data. Well, um, actually, it's I think every vote counts as a like, and it looks like a lot of engagement in the algorithm, and they haven't like nuanced what a vote is worth. Is is kind of the. Uh, the problem, yeah, they're, they're, they may be. It's interesting. They may be collecting data, but like, uh, I know they're collecting the data. Yeah. Was um, should pineapple be on pizza? Yes or no? Like that doesn't belong <laughs> on LinkedIn. <laughs> That would do so well, though. It does for Pizza Hut. <laughs> yeah, it does for Pizza Hut. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to see a bunch of people, brand specifically, use them for kind of just traffic generating. They'll do a little mm-hmm. whatever. They'll put their link in the actual post versus the classic put it in the comments thing because it gets so many views that it's getting all this free traffic to their sign-up pages or whatever. I mean, I don't love them, but... I could see it feeding like from a branding perspective, at least just because it's getting so much interaction, it's getting a lot of impressions, and you're getting brand recognition out of it. But yeah, it's... The algorithm's all screwed up right well, now. I, I think the point is do a poll because it's actually useful. It's interesting. Instead of, I'm mm-hmm. doing this poll because I'm going to get more views. It's a vanity metric. Right. Polls are, it's, yeah. it's, it's dopamine. It's, it's a it's dopamine, dopamine hit. hit. It's, exactly. Well, like, like, you know who's executing this really well right now is Chili Piper, right? If you guys voted mm-hmm. on the marketing leader yeah. thing, yeah, like, that one's brilliant. Uh, Daniel at Chili Piper has been running that thing. And like their brand within marketing ops – 
and marketing and RevOps is going through the roof because they're doing that. So like, I don't blame them for doing it, but it's kind of, yeah. okay. it's, well, I mean, I'm voting for like, it, but it's still a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, uh, my thought on it. I mean, like because it's so, the algorithm is so skewed to make polls just blow up. The result yep. is that people use them to get the dopamine hit, which yeah. means they're not using them to provide value. Not always. Exactly. Right. And when you're using them, they're just people are just throwing polls out there for the sake of this is going to get 700 votes, which is going to make it show up everywhere and everybody's going to know who I am. But you're not actually giving value to your audience. And I think that has to be the fundamental thing that every person posting on LinkedIn should be seeking to do, like helping each other out, building a community. That's what LinkedIn is meant to be. And in, until they fix the algorithm to, to be you know, more similar to any other post that's going to continue to be a problem like that. People are going to ask the question, like, do you want pineapple on your pizza or not? Versus asking <laughs> like, what software do you use to route leads, lean data or four lane, right? Like, which is a valuable question to ask because you're adding value to your audience. People are going to have a discussion that actually helps you. It's going to help me. It's going to help everybody else. Like that's the difference. But until they fix that algorithm, it's just going to be crap. It's just mostly sw- swimming through junk to find the two or three polls that are actually useful. Yeah. Well, poll here. Who who has posted a poll? When was the last time everyone posted the latest poll on LinkedIn? Uh, two I weeks posted, ago. Last, last time I posted <laughs> was probably three months. I posted, and I think I did it because Alec told me to post a poll. Like three months ago. <laughs> so, I need um, two or three a week right now because it's because I'm, I'm wow. eating up that eating up that uh, dopamine hit. So yeah, <laughs> need that dopamine. And I, I will say, from a marketing perspective, people should be taking on the marketing side should be taking note of the engagement that type of content gets. Mm-hmm. So yes. building yep. assessments, surveys, they better be running on that because it's obvious it works in general, right? Yeah, interactive yeah, that's content. true. I guess for me, I, I measure the value of my LinkedIn by like how much like conversation it's driving, how much how yes. many people are yes. actually getting. Because I I think if people like a post and comment on it, they're getting value from it. They're actually engaging with it for a reason, right? With with polls, I don't think votes necessarily symbol that they're getting value from what you've put out in the world. And so I, I'm I'm hesitant to use them because me personally, my my whole goal on LinkedIn is just purely to provide some, some leadership or thought value or ask questions to the world. Whereas I, 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 uh, I'm not a big social media guy in general. So the dopamine hit has never really been there for me anyways, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I get it. Like, in, like I said, until they fix the algorithm, like Brandon's going to keep posting to a week. You, and you as well, as well. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, I don't blame you. I don't know. It's not your guys. It's LinkedIn has done this. It's created this monster, but yeah, I do wonder if there are, you know, we should be careful because there could be long-term reputational or kind of brand impacts of like, this person is so annoying. They just keep posting polls all the day. Like that does over time have an impact. See, see how much people dislike it. Like it's very obvious. There was a, there was a, a guy who had a pretty big following. I, I used to be connected to him and I actually disconnected from him because every day he posted the same thing that was good morning to everybody except, and then it was like a new except every day. <laughs> he did that for like 300 days in a row. And I was like, that like, you're kind of, like, I can't see this in my feed every day. Like, this is so terrible. I, I want out, right? But I, I maybe to bring it all back home. What if LinkedIn charged ten bucks to post a poll? Hell Ooh. yeah! We Love need that. data for LinkedIn. Noise would, would go down. down. <laughs> and, and yeah, like your solution to, to everything is, is like make people make pay, pay for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it is like it's it's enough of a, a limit to back to gate it right it's enough of a limit that people will say you know what i'm actually not going to post pay five dollars to make that post like it's going to 
kept me away from doing that. Yeah, Much yeah, like, yeah. hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay five dollars for that meeting because it's not actually a valuable meeting. And so, like, it, it goes back to that. It is effective, even though it seems like a small amount of money. You you would it would limit it. So, and I think it's all about you know wh- whether it's an email or a poll on LinkedIn. It's like first think about providing value, right? Instead of it, you know, email. It's a numbers game. Don't look at it like that. Um, right. Or LinkedIn. It's about gaming the algorithm. If that's your mentality, you've, you've already lost. Right? right. It's about how can I provide value wherever you are, every touch along the way. Right. Totally. So we have two potential solutions for LinkedIn. If anybody wants to send this directly up the chain over there when they listen to this inevitably, one <laughs> is just fix the algorithm to not do this. The other is put gated basically into LinkedIn polling, uh-huh. <laughs> so which, which forces people to donate $10 to a charity. LinkedIn could write that off, I would bet, as a tax write-off, I'm assuming. So, Hashtag new revenue stream for LinkedIn right there. Yeah. I guess we all work for them now. That's probably what's happening. Alec, any last thoughts <laughs> Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, this has been an awesome, yeah, this has been an awesome episode. A- Andy, where, where can people, well, get, give people your, your email so that they can uh, experience Gated and donate to your charity. Gated.com is our website. Uh, my email is Andy at Gated.com. I'm comfortable putting it out there on the internet. Anyone can email me because. Because you're Gated. Out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. And Andy, this has been awesome. Thank you for uh, for joining us. And, and everybody listening, you can find Andy on LinkedIn. He's He posts very frequently. He's going to cut back the polls, it sounds like, maybe. We'll not what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to vote in some polls, Andy was on LinkedIn. No, Andy posts a lot of things. You publish all over the place. You have the manifesto. I've seen you published in like... 40 different articles and blogs and all over websites. And, and so um, everybody follow him on LinkedIn, follow myself. And, and Jonathan actually posted on LinkedIn this week. So if you want to follow Jonathan, no way. he is now LinkedIn active as well. <laughs> so we will plug him. But thank you, everybody, for listening. Whoa, and of wait, course, wait. One last quick question. Who else is brave enough to mention their email address right on this phone call? I mean, I'll get, I give mine most of the time. You can send your questions, you can send your questions for this week on LinkedIn to jordan.henderson at revenue.io. Yeah, if you guys want his personal email, just uh, message me on LinkedIn. <laughs> but yeah, no, send, send your questions through. And of course, if you're listening this far into the podcast and you're enjoying it, please give us a five-star review and, and write a review. It's super helpful for us. But Andy, thank you so much for joining and uh, we'll look forward to the next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Andy.